The CIA made plans to kidnap or kill Julian Assange while he was granted asylum in the Embassy of Ecuador in London. They also worked to create divisions and splits within WikiLeaks and among supporters of Julian Assange. We talk about these and other underreported stories with comedian, journalist, and author Lee Camp. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to this week's episode of The Real Story on the Socialist Program, where we go beyond the superficial to understand the social and political struggles dominating the world today. I'm your host, Brian Becker. Today, we'll be talking to Lee Camp. Lee is a writer, comedian, activist, journalist, and host of the television show Redacted Tonight, which you can see on RT America. His latest book is called Bullet Points and Punchlines, The most important, I can't, Lee, I have to start laughing when I'm reading your book title. (laughs) The most important commentary ever written on the epic American tragic comedy. And you can find that book and more of Lee's work at LeeCamp.com. Lee, welcome back to The Socialist Program. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, we have a few, I would say, like big issues to talk about. Usually when we do this episode in the socialist program it's it's a single focus a deep dive like we did our seven part series on china's foreign policy that was nine hours on you know very focused topics but we want to discuss with you a couple maybe a few perhaps several important issues and the reason we wanted to talk to you lee one is because you're one of our favorite guests and two because you've been in fact commenting and discussing in different platforms and different media outlets some of these important issues one of the issues is the revelation by a yahoo news investigation that the cia was earnestly trying to either kidnap or assassinate julian assange we want to talk about that mm-hmm. we want to talk also about the lawyer for the indigenous people in Ecuador, who sued Chevron, that would be Steve Donziger, and what actually happened to him. And of course, we also want to talk about the weird, not maybe completely unpredictable trajectory of Tulsi Gabbard's political orientation. Now, as you have said, she is moving to the hard right. Anyway, a number of really, really important issues. Let's start first with this amazing story, not shocking, but it's an amazing story that the CIA focused a big effort on trying to, or thinking through how to either kidnap or kill or both Julian Assange currently still in prison. Yeah. I mean, it truly is an incredible and of course, revolting story that our government is involved with plans to kill a journalist the mainstream media has decided to begin covering this, Yahoo News included. Uh, you know, I guess they quote unquote broke the story. But of course, this isn't actually breaking news. It was covered over a year ago by the Gray Zone. And then, you know, various other outlets did stories afterwards, Consortium News and others. 
But now it's become a mainstream media talking point because they're able to say, look, this is how crazy Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo were. And, you know, the American government is not crazy when you're not under Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo. But of course, that Yahoo News expose, you know, leaves out the fact that horrible things were done to Assange during the Obama administration. He fled into the Ecuadorian embassy. There were FBI stings in Sweden and Iceland, both of which have collapsed. The key witness in all of the stuff that came out from Iceland has come forward recently in the past few months and said he made it all up and he lied under oath. So plenty was done against Assange during the Obama administration. However, there were not plans to assassinate or kidnap him that we know of until Donald Trump and Pompeo gets in there. Pompeo apparently was furious that WikiLeaks had revealed CIA's Vault 7, many of their hacking tools and other digital tools that they use to either spy on or create digital false flags, etc. That was revealed by WikiLeaks. And so Pompeo thought, well, let's just kill this guy. It really did get insane. So while the Yahoo News story it does a lot of disinformation, misinformation, including buying into Russiagate, which has all collapsed and been debunked. They do confirm this key fact that our government, the U.S. government, at least at certain points, was plotting to kidnap or kill Assange. Right. And let's just go back to how Julian Assange was, in fact, prior to this, characterized by the Democratic Party, by Hillary Clinton, and in contrast, by Donald Trump. Here in 2017, Donald Trump is drawn in with Pompeo. They're thinking, how can we kill Julian Assange? And they really go through many, many detailed plans. And as the Yahoo News said, discussions over kidnapping or killing Assange occurred, quote, at the highest levels of the Trump administration, said a former senior counterintelligence official. Quote, there seemed to be no boundaries. Now, right before that, in 2016, when WikiLeaks was releasing documents that came from the Democratic National Committee that showed that the Democratic National Committee had, in fact, gone out of its way to make sure that Bernie Sanders would not win the Democratic nomination in 2016 and that, indeed, Hillary Clinton would win, when those revelations came out in the summer of 2016, Donald Trump welcomed them. He said, WikiLeaks, keep releasing more and more <laughs> documents. Come on. You know, he was making WikiLeaks like a, a pro WikiLeaks talking point, which of course then confirmed in the minds of all Democrats that WikiLeaks, in fact, was a tool of the Republicans and Trump and thus a tool of the Russians. And in fact, they spent the next three years making the argument that the only reason Donald Trump could become president was because of the bad deeds done to him by the Russians using WikiLeaks. And while Julian Assange at one time had very, I would say, a very high popularity or approval rating among progressive Democrats, they pretty much all turned against WikiLeaks in 2016, 2017. And oddly, while the Democrats were convinced that Julian Assange and the WikiLeaks were just non-state agents of Russian intelligence, the Trump administration, which would presumably be the beneficiary, was trying to kill him. Amazing. Yeah, it, it is pretty incredible. But, you know, there's a lot of disconnects of what Trump would say during rallies with what the actual behavior of our government 
Trump's much like a comedian in campaign rallies. He goes where the punchlines are. So, you know, that got a big cheer saying, come on, WikiLeaks, reveal more information. But, you know, if WikiLeaks had had information on Trump, they would have released that as well. And I'm sure he wouldn't have liked that. But yeah, it still is truly incredible that our government was willing to discuss killing a journalist, assassinating a journalist. And they had all kinds of levels of spying going on in the Ecuadorian embassy. At one point, they even had created a plan to steal a diaper from a baby that was being brought to visit Assange to test the DNA and see if it was his child. So literally, they're stealing used diapers out of the dumpsters. It was his child because, as we learned later, he had two children with Stella Morris while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy. But I mean, it's just disgusting on every level, and it's morally repulsive. And, you know, it reveals the U.S. government for what it is, an empire that is very scared of the truth being revealed. They view nothing as threatening as Julian Assange or Edward Snowden, people that reveal their secrets, reveal their war crimes. And this goes for under the Trump administration, down through under the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton at one point said, you know, laughingly, we should just drone bomb Assange. It really is just phenomenally repulsive. Let's talk a little bit about the Vault 7 leaks that actually were the thing that made Pompeo and the CIA and apparently Trump too want to kill, kidnap or kill or both Julian Assange. Here's what WikiLeaks said at the time. Tuesday, March 7th, today, WikiLeaks begins its new series of leaks on the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, codenamed Vault 7 by WikiLeaks. It is the largest ever publication of confidential documents on the agency. The first full part of the series, Year Zero, comprises 8,761 documents and files from an isolated high-security network situated inside the CIA's Center for Cyber Intelligence in Langley, Virginia. Recently, the CIA lost control of the majority of its hacking arsenal, including malware, viruses, Trojans, weaponized zero-day exploits, malware remote control systems, and associated documentation. The extraordinary collection, which amounts to more than several hundred million lines of code, gives its possessor, meaning those who took the documents, the entire hacking capacity of the CIA. The archive appears to have been circulated among former U.S. government hackers and contractors in an unauthorized manner, one of whom has provided WikiLeaks with portions of the archive. Lee, this was called by the CIA the biggest intelligence loss in the history of the agency. But what we learn here is that the United States government, through the CIA, and of course through the NSA, is involved in all types of cyber warfare against other governments, against corporate entities, against people in progressive political movements, whereby these hacking tools allow the CIA to take control of cars, take control, of course, of computers, mm -hmm. but take control of big parts of technical apparatus to manipulate it against those who think that they actually possess these technologies. It's a big, big 
revelation in terms of what the U.S. government and what the CIA is really doing. Yeah, which exactly what you're saying is the most hilarious part is they want us to be upset or even furious over the loss of intelligence or the loss of these tools. No, the true anger, the true ire should be that they had these tools and were using them to begin with, you know, not just on foreign actors, but on American citizens. Yeah, like you're saying, it showed their ability to take over computers, to listen to you in your home through your smart TV, even if the TV isn't on. So you could have a blank TV sitting on your wall and it's listening. They're listening to your conversations in your house. It revealed stuff like that. It revealed that they could, you know, and this probably isn't a surprise to a lot of people, but hack into computers and leave various things like Russian characters in the hacking so that others would look at who hacked the systems and decide it must have been the Russians. Basically, exactly what we learned from Russiagate is, oh, yeah, well, there's Russian characters. It must have been the Russians, as if no one could put Russian characters in order to lead people astray on their analysis. But that should be what people are angry about, that the CIA was doing this at all. This, along with the, you know, Pompeo as head of the CIA back then, and the CIA in general planning to possibly murder a journalist, these should all go together into one big folder that's called the CIA has run awry. It has become a massive far too powerful organization that is just running roughshod over all kinds of international law. And this is nothing new as well. In fact, a month after JFK was assassinated, Truman himself, who had written the CIA into being, wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post that many wish had been forgotten. But he said in that op-ed that the CIA had grown far too big. It had left its initial you know, mission, gone far beyond its initial mission. And he feared that it you know, was not behaving in the interest of the United States, basically saying the CIA had completely run wild and should be shut down. And this is the guy who created, you know, at least signed into existence, the CIA. And he wrote it in the Washington Post a month after JFK is assassinated. And many people don't want to remember that. But this just continues. This has gone on for decades as to how egregious the CIA is. Mike Pompeo, as head of CIA, said, as you well remember, we lied, we cheated, we stole, we had entire training courses it reminds you of the glory of the American experiment. Remember, Mike? <laughs> that was Mike Pompeo speaking like, when you're a CIA director, Lee, you're not supposed to say these things. You're not supposed <laughs> to say, we lied, we cheated, we stole, because sometimes people might remember. Well, that's why the ruling elites really didn't like the Trump administration. It wasn't for most of their policies. It was for the fact that they spoke too openly about the way the American empire actually works. One of the things that I thought was really important about the Yahoo News investigation that, again, as you're pointing out, other entities, progressive news outlets and media outlets had already done a lot of this work. But one of the things that they highlight is how much, as part of this CIA effort against Julian Assange, the CIA tried to use different people in the progressive movement, in the movement to free Julian Assange against each other. They tried to pit people against each other. They created lies. They created slanders. They created whisper campaigns. In other words, this need to divide WikiLeaks supporters from each other. And it just, it's so important for, especially for people on the left and progressives to remember 
this because we're always being challenged with the possible divisive element that comes within progressive movements. Some of them are based on real divisions, like legitimate beefs with each other. But behind the scenes, the CIA, the FBI are constantly looking for promoting or exacerbating divisions. And clearly, I mean, the Yahoo News investigation is very clear that this was precisely what the CIA was doing as it mapped out its plans to destroy Julian Assange. Yeah, they. I think it's pretty clear now. They picked apart almost the entirety of the WikiLeaks organization, anyone that Assange could rely on for help in this as he was being persecuted. They just found ways to either silence them or turn them against each other or, you know, insert doubt. And I think, you know, we don't have all the details on this, but maybe one day we'll find out exactly how this system worked, how they went about attacking WikiLeaks. They also got their funding cut off. They succeeded in getting PayPal to no longer allow WikiLeaks to use them and other funding sources. So it was like a war on all fronts against WikiLeaks, which they viewed as a far greater enemy than, you know, most countries, basically. And and keep in mind, everyone should keep in mind that WikiLeaks has never published anything false. So this is the U.S. government at war with the truth. And WikiLeaks and Julian Assange won multiple journalism awards back when the mainstream media was working with WikiLeaks and with Julian Assange until it became clear that the you know ruling elite had gotten the memo that WikiLeaks was the enemy number one. And then all of these mainstream media organizations turned against WikiLeaks, which is truly breathtaking to see, you know, watching many of these outlets that had used WikiLeaks reporting and information to win awards and to do incredible stories. They all of a sudden turned and acted like Assange was some kind of criminal. I mean, it just showed how spineless the mainstream media is, as well as, of course, the CIA and others who were trying to stop WikiLeaks. And as the demonization against Julian Assange and WikiLeaks grew and grew and grew, Predictably, too, certain parts of the left or the liberal left, or I don't even know what these terms sometimes mean anymore, (laughs) they also turned against Julian, finding one reason or another not to demand that the organization and the publisher of that organization, who revealed U.S. war crimes in Iraq, war crimes that would not have otherwise been revealed, and who is thus imprisoned and targeted, that they no longer felt any obligation to defend Julian. I mean, it's one thing when New York Times and CNN and Washington Post that were glad to use WikiLeaks documents and publish them and put them on the front page in the case of the New York Times turn against them. Well, we think, okay, these are bourgeois, opportunist, ruling class entities, but sadly, parts of the progressive movement are also influenced whenever there's a big demonization campaign. Talking about demonization, let's turn real quickly to Stephen Donziger. Stephen Donziger is a U.S. attorney. He went to court against Chevron for oil fields in Ecuador. He represented 30,000 farmers and indigenous Ecuadorians in a case against Chevron. In the court battle, they insisted that the environmental damage and the health effects to them and their communities caused by oil drilling in Ecuador was criminal and that they had liability claims against Chevron. And the Ecuadorian courts awarded the plaintiffs, Stephen Donziger's clients, 
$9.5 billion in damages, which then Chevron, in retaliation, withdrew all of its assets from Ecuador and launched a legal action against the attorney, against Stephen Donziger. Let's pick it up there, Lee Camp, and talk about the fate of Stephen Donziger. Yeah, it is a true example of lawfare going to war with someone through the law. They know that your average citizen, even someone that might be wealthy, can't compete financially, can't actually continue to battle in court for years on end. But that's what they've done to Donziger because he won this suit, which if they actually got the money would have helped tens of thousands of indigenous, as you said, in Ecuador who've had their lives destroyed. So many have been killed by these oil fields, these toxins. They were told there was nothing toxic. They were told at times that if they saw black stuff in the water, it was fine to drink, that it was like vitamins. And literally, you just had cancer running wild. You had kids dying almost overnight after drinking some of the water sources. And so he wins this case. And they've just been going after him for years. And the last two years, he's been on house arrest, stuck in his apartment in New York. And the district attorney refused to prosecute Donziger. So they did something that is almost never done. They got a private prosecutor to oversee the hearing, the trial, and connected to Chevron. And both the judges that have worked on this have had contacts to Chevron or connections to Chevron. And the latest one, Judge Preska, she read the newspaper during Donziger's trial, completely ignoring him, and then just ruled the other day that he would be going to prison for six months. He's appealing that now. Who knows if the next decision will be any less corrupt, but it really is just... I mean, it's insanity, and it really goes in the same category as Assange. This is, you know, corporate America realizing the risk of the truth, realizing the risk of being held accountable for their crimes. And so they're going after the messenger. They're going after Donziger. They're going after Assange. They're not going after people who have committed any kind of crimes. These are people who successfully did journalism or successfully prosecuted corporate criminals. And that is what they're being punished for. So in 2011, after they lost the case in Ecuador, Chevron filed a civil RICO, that's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act lawsuit against Donziger in New York City. And it accused him of bribing an Ecuadorian judge, ghostwriting the damages judgment against it, quote, fixing, close quote, scientific studies. And the New York City court said the Ecuadorian court had no jurisdiction, had no jurisdiction in the case and overturned the ruling, basically that the indigenous farmers could not collect any damages against Chevron and went further. And Chevron, they said, had a viable claim against Donziger. And they, in this lawsuit against Donziger, which was for $60 billion, these are this whole army of Chevron lawyers against Stephen Donziger, the one lawyer who represented the indigenous, they went after him. And Donziger estimated that the legal fees that Chevron was paying in appeal had exceeded $2 billion to destroy him. So then he's disbarred. The judge rules for Chevron rules against Donziger, Chevron and its agents then file claims against him with the New York State Bar. He's disbarred. He loses his legal license. Then he's put on criminal trial. And I want to just talk about what the judge, the initial ruling judge, 
why he was sentenced in, for contempt of court. Listen to this. As part of the appeal process, after the initial ruling, the one in Ecuador, Judge Kaplan ordered Donziger to submit his computer, phones, and other electronic devices to Chevron <laughs> to allow it to search for his assets. Donziger refused, arguing that doing so would violate attorney-client privilege of his clients, and he appealed the order on constitutional grounds. When his appeal was pending, the same judge charged him with six counts of criminal contempt of court for not turning over his devices to Chevron, the party he was suing on behalf of his clients. Anyway, and now he's the one who is incarcerated. Again, people always tell you, you know, the ladder of law has no top and no bottom. The image is the judges. They have the whatever those, the weights, they're all balancing each other. You know, whether you're rich or poor, if you steal a loaf of bread, you're going to get equal justice. You got all of that kind of stuff, Lee. But this case, uh, it's just, it blows the mind. Yeah, I don't think uh, rich and poor get the same legal system. Well, if they steal a loaf of bread, if they steal a loaf of bread, which, of course, rich people are doing constantly. Well, that, yeah, if you steal a loaf of bread, maybe. If you steal a billion dollars, then you're fine. You can get away with that. Yeah, and, and the misdemeanor that he's charged with, contempt of court, you know, no, apparently no lawyer has ever been held for more than like 90 days. And he, on the other hand, has been on house arrest for two years and now sentenced to six months more in prison. It's, it's, it's truly hilarious. And luckily, you now have some people speaking up about it. Uh, the UN Human Rights report just came out saying that he had not gotten a fair trial and that his detention is against international law. Of course, the corrupt judges did not care about that ruling by the UN. And, you know, this is just yet again, corporate America, incredibly powerful corporations owning our system, owning the legal system in many regards, and they can cover up their crimes by owning this criminal justice system. Let's not forget that pretty much everything the Nazis did in Germany was quote unquote legal, because if it wasn't legal, then they changed the law to make it legal. So this is another example of that, where the criminal justice system is not giving anything remotely like a fair trial to Donziger. And it really is, you know, just the deeper you dig on it, the more it reeks. And, you know, when I had Donziger on Redacted Tonight to interview him, we talked about some of these videos that have been leaked from Chevron. These are Chevron's internal videos that were not meant to ever see the daylight. And they're Chevron officials in Ecuador during the trial that happened there, going out to the farmland and trying to find a core sample that didn't have oil in it so that they could then say to the courts, look, here are the core samples. There's no oil in that farmland or in that area. And the video is of them laughing nervously about the fact that they can't find any land without oil in it. They literally pull up core after core sample and oil is in everything. And they're joking around about, wow, I guess we did it again. We found more oil. And it's truly incredible to see them both laughing about this and to see these videos that they had hoped no one would ever see and to see that literally they can't even find land in this area that hasn't been contaminated. So it just goes to show like there is overwhelming evidence of their crimes. And yet right now, instead of fighting to get that money for the indigenous, 
we, meaning activists, meaning anyone who supports Donziger, are having to fight just for his freedom. I'm so glad you were able to interview him. By the way, I meant to ask you when we were talking about Julian Assange in the first part of this episode, you also talked to Julian's father. Just talk about that a little bit and what he said and how he is and how the family is. Yeah, I just had him on this week on Redacted Tonight. He's in Australia, although he is coming back to England for the final extradition appeal, which, you know, everyone should know that the moment Biden, the Biden administration drops the appeal, Assange should be a free man, but they're not dropping the appeal. And this is despite the fact that Obama's administration didn't even want to bring charges because they figured it would be of grave concern against press freedom and freedom of journalists to actually function as a profession. They ultimately decide to not bring charges against Assange. But here is the Biden administration appealing the non-extradition decision. But yeah, Assange's father, I mean, he's keeping high hopes. He, of course, was horrified to hear of their plans that are now passed, hopefully, to assassinate his son. And, you know, he talked about how not enough has been made of the fact that their main star witness against Assange has now recanted and said that he lied under oath to try and indict Assange. He did it because the FBI had him on other charges and basically said they would drop those if he lied about Assange. The guy's name is Siggy Thorgerson, I believe. And so he talked about that and he talked about, you know, what an egregious destruction of justice it is, how his son has done important things for the world, important things for multiple nations. Many people don't know that Assange and WikiLeaks created transparency for many governments, for many countries. They revealed the crimes of governments and of very powerful entities like big banks. It wasn't just America. So people like to think, you know, we've been throwing this propaganda that Assange was just out to get America. But in fact, he was revealing and WikiLeaks was revealing the truth from many organizations and many countries. Because the citizens are supposed to know about these governments that represent them. And so, yeah, Sanjay's father talked about that and, of course, is hopeful that this final hearing will free his son. Lee, we only have about five minutes left. I want to turn to our final topic, and that's Tulsi Gabbard's political turn to the right, perhaps to the far right. Of course, Tulsi Gabbard was running for president in the Democratic primaries. The Democratic establishment was very upset and angry with her. She spoke out eloquently against endless wars, the policies of endless wars. A lot of progressive people were very happy and supported Tulsi Gabbard because of her position against the military. I saw your video on Moments of Clarity with Lee Camp, which again, I encourage our listeners to go to Moment of Clarity with Lee Camp, and you can quickly explain what Moment of Clarity is, Lee. But you have a short video there called Tulsi Goes Far Right Wing, or Full Right Wing. Tulsi Goes Full Right Wing. Well, since she is going full right wing, apparently, she appeared on Fox News, and we want to play a quick little audio clip from her appearance, and I think the audience will understand that she indeed is going full right wing. But Let's play that audio clip, and then I want to get your comments. On the issue of immigration that's pressing now in the news, you tweeted out uh, this today. Uh, you said, the Biden-Harris open-door policy has been a disaster. It needs to end now. The main beneficiaries of open borders are the gangs, cartels, and human traffickers. The Trump policy of having people wait on the other side of the border worked and needs to be reinstated. Your, your thoughts about what's happening in Del Rio and how the administration is handling it? Uh, it, it is an utter disaster and failure, 
and it's directly attributed to the Biden-Harris administration's open border policy. This is not only a humanitarian crisis, it is a, a national security crisis. And it's something I've said uh, all along, which is that if we do not secure our borders, uh, then we can't have a secure nation. Uh, there are so many issues that, that have happened under this administration that have led to this point, and their continued failure of leadership is exacerbating the crisis that we're seeing play out before our very eyes. Lee, you talked about Tulsi goes full right wing. That's, I mean, that's clear. She's on Fox News. She's embracing Trump's immigration policy. Tulsi Gabbard has reoriented politically. And I think it's so important for people because, especially people who are not in left socialist parties, per se, they're always looking for a politician who will be sort of the savior, the hero, the salvation. And Tulsi Gabbard sounded pretty good on some issues in the Democratic Party primary debates. But again, if you just are looking for whoever's sounding good at a particular moment, you can really get misled by politicians who can move to the left or to the right. But this is a big move to the right. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious if it weren't so serious. But I challenge someone to go read Tulsi Gabbard's recent Twitter feed and cover up the title and see if you can tell the difference between Fox News and Tulsi Gabbard. So she goes on Fox News, agrees with them on every point, seems to be really harping on the idea that Biden and Kamala Harris have open borders. This is attributable to the open borders policy of the Biden administration. But you can look up the numbers and the Biden administration, you know, since he came into office, is on track to deport as many or more than Donald Trump. Also, not to mention Biden was VP under Obama, who deported more than any other president in history. So it's hilarious that she's saying this is an open border policy, which repeats multiple times, which is utterly not true. But then on top of that, she's talking about the crisis that happened at the border when you had tens of thousands, I think it was 15,000 Haitians at the border looking for asylum, looking to come into a country as their country is having so much difficulty. And she says that crisis is attributable to open borders. Literally, they're stuck there because the borders aren't open. That is why they're standing there. So it's like laughably stupid on top of being false. And then, of course, she and Fox News and all the rest are not going to talk about the fact that much of the reason Haiti is having so much difficulty is due to our own actions in Haiti, our aggressive stances, our various coups we've helped perpetrate in Haiti, you know, picking up Aristide and kidnapping him and dropping him off in Africa in 2004. So, of course, she's not going to talk about any of that. She's just going to say, and many other countries in Latin America, by the way, She's just going to say, oh, this open borders policy is a real problem. It's so laughably ignorant and right wing that it's tough to even know what to do with it. And I went back to watch one of her clips from the Democratic debates to see whether she used to speak like this at all. And on immigration, she basically made her entire response on immigration, how terrible it was that families were being torn apart, how terrible it was that children were being kept in cages. And basically, it's all about how asylum seekers should be able to easily get into the country and find a new home here. And so it's the polar opposite answer to what she was saying on Fox News. In addition to her appearance on Fox News and her tweets, Tulsi Gabbard also issued a video statement announcing that she had been gone on a special mission with the U.S. Special Forces in Africa. You can tell Lee from her language that 
she is no longer functioning as an opponent, if she ever was, of the U.S. military-industrial complex or the Pentagon High Command. Aloha, everyone. Uh, you haven't heard much from me lately. I've been gone for the last four months, serving on an active duty tour and deployment to Africa as a civil affairs officer. I was supporting a special forces mission to go after Al-Qaeda-affiliated jihadists. Now, every single day, it was truly my honor to work with incredible patriots, experienced, focused warriors with an unwavering commitment to serve our country. So, Lee, when you hear Tulsi Gabbard now, she's talking about she's proud to be with the warriors fighting in Africa, part of special forces, doesn't sound like a vigorous opponent to the military-industrial complex or endless war, a real demonstration of how people need to be aware of politicians, the sharp turns to the right, and the poison of opportunism, which is clearly here. She's trying to be some other force within the right wing, the right wing of the Republican Party or beyond. What do you think? Yeah, and I will say on this, in this area, on this topic, while I liked a lot of what she said during their presidential run about ending endless war and et cetera, how horrible our wars are, American empire, I did know that in many occasions she still defended drone warfare. And to me, that was her seemingly saying she's only against war when it harms our veterans or our military. So she's fine with the millions that are killed by our various bombing and various incursions and invasions, as long as they're not killing her fellow soldiers. And to me, that's a severe moral misunderstanding. She doesn't seem to have the care for the innocent civilians that are dying of our bombs, only for our soldiers who are dying or becoming you know, seriously maimed during our invasions and our attacks. And so to me, that's less of a shift. And I had always had concerns about that, that she didn't seem truly anti-war. But now it seems very evident that she's not really anti-war at all. She just went over and served again in Africa as part of AFRICOM, which why should the United States even be in Africa? If she believes that, if she wants to know why the American empire should even be in Africa, then why is she running over there to help it be in Africa, to help it invade another continent that we have no right to be there? So to me, that's less of a shift, but it's still, and people should have been skeptical earlier, but it's still is a shift to the right wing. She clearly thinks that is where her following will be gained. And, you know, yet again, so many people are let down by a politician that they thought was actually progressive, that they thought actually stood for something and now seems to stand for almost nothing. And I know earlier you asked about my Moment of Clarity segment on Tulsi Gabbard. I think the easiest place if people want to find that is to go to radindymedia.com. It's a site I've created that has a bunch of leftist media there, Rad Indie Media, and it's got plenty of your stuff as well, Brian, your excellent show. So we post it all there. Very good. And so important for our audience to really listen to the words of these politicians because people want them to be saying the things that they believe in. But you have to listen carefully. A lot of people said, oh, Obama's against war because he said the Iraq war was a stupid war. Well, he just wanted to end that war, but was prepared to move on to the next war. Anyway, we've been joined by Lee Camp. Lee is a writer, he's a comedian, he's an activist, he's a journalist, and he's the host of the television show, Redacted Tonight. 
you can also lee again just for the audience say again the media outlet radindymedia.com r-a-d-i-n-d-i-e media.com and you can see redacted tonight on rt america lee's latest book is called bullet points and punchlines the most important commentary ever written on the epic american tragic comedy and you can find it and more of his work at leecamp.com you've been listening to the socialist program with brian becker where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it if you enjoyed the show subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram we can only continue our work bringing you high quality news analysis and history with the support of our listeners connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with brian becker